Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at Pakistan, where Imran Khan, the new Prime Minister, has embarked on an austerity drive involving moving out of the official residence and putting a government fleet of luxury cars on sale. Jotsna Singh talks to Kieran Stacey about what message Mr Khan is trying to convey and how serious the economic difficulties he faces are. So Kiran, why is the government carrying out the so-called austerity drive? And is it just the luxury cars they are trying to get rid of, or there are other measures too? Imran Khan came into power earlier this summer after a thumping election win in July. And one of the first things he wanted to do was prove that he was not one of the old dynastic politicians who have ruled Pakistan for decades. And one of the ways he's done this is to embark on this so-called austerity drive. So this involves, for example, moving out of the prime minister's official residence, which is a sprawling palatial house built in the 1980s. Instead, he's going to live in a relatively modest three-bedroom apartment on the grounds of the same building. And the other thing he's done is rounded up 103 government luxury cars and auctioned them off to the public. These are BMWs, they're Mercedes, they're Land Cruisers, they're expensive cars. Some of them even have armour plating on. So I'm not entirely sure who the government expected were going to buy these cars, but they did, sure enough, put them all out on the lawn in the grounds of the Prime Minister's residence and open up the sale to the public. So it's not just purely an austerity move. The government is trying to send out a message here, isn't it? Yeah, no, this is a PR move, for sure. It was never going to raise that much in the first place. The auctioneers claimed they hoped to get $16 million, which in the grand scale of Pakistan's budget is neither here nor there. In fact, they ended up getting about $600,000 they really didn't sell very much at all and some of the most expensive cars there was no interest in them Um, people simply couldn't afford the kinds of sums that were being charged by the Pakistan government now I suspect ministers knew all along that there wouldn't be much appetite for these cars but yeah it was an eye-catching way for them to say we are not going to surround ourselves with the trappings of government in the same way that governments have done for decades before Pakistan is facing a serious financial crisis. Tell us how's the government trying to balance the books? Pakistan has two problems. One extremely serious, which is that it is fast running out of foreign exchange. And the reason for that is its imports are high and its exports are low, which means that all the foreign currency has been used to pay for these imports and it's not been topped up by items being exported. Now, Pakistan at the moment has under $10 billion worth of foreign exchange in its central bank, which is only enough to pay for around two months of projected imports, possibly slightly less, in fact. So it's running out very quickly and could eventually end up having to default on some of these payments to other countries. The other problem it has is that it has quite a wide budget deficit. And part of the reason for that is the outgoing PMLN government in its final days did things like offer huge tax breaks to try and encourage people to vote for them at the election. Well, they failed. And in fact, what they've done is mean that the government's budget deficit is much wider than they were predicting it would be. So the government of Imran Khan is trying to fix both of those situations. And in fact, the two are linked because what is likely to happen is that Imran Khan's government will go to foreign institutions. We know that they're going to the Chinese. We know that they're going to the Saudis and they are debating whether to go to the International Monetary Fund, the Washington-based bank. Any of these institutions in return for bailing out 
Pakistan, their likely demand that the government cut back on government spending and increase its tax take. So in preparation for that, Imran Khan has announced exactly that in his first few weeks in power. His finance minister, Asad Umar, stood up and said there would be higher taxes on the rich. So the tax rate will go up from 15% to 30% for people earning 5 million rupees a year. He also announced that the development budget, which is used for things like roads and sewerage systems, that will be slashed in half. They're also expecting a lot more money to come in through better tax regulation, which will be interesting to see whether it happens or not. Imran Khan has inherited a tough premiership. His challenges on the economic as well as the political front are many. How has he done so far in his first month in office, you think? Imran Khan's probably done what he needed to in his first month in terms of trying to shore up Pakistan's finances. He has embarked on a a blizzard of diplomacy. He has met a senior Chinese delegation who came to Pakistan. He's also traveled to Saudi Arabia. Both of these are clearly trying to secure loans that could help Pakistan out of its current situation. What he's not done, and what I think some people would like to see, is take a slightly softer line with the US and try and do what is needed to approach the IMF for a bailout. The IMF are likely to demand certain things, but a lot of people think they are a more stable lender who would demand less political interference than, say, China or Saudi Arabia. On the budget side of things, the budget that Asad Umar unveiled this week was, again, broadly welcomed. The one question I think that a lot of analysts had is, this government is pinning a lot of hopes on taking in more tax simply by being able to collect more from people who already owe it. Now, there's been a problem for decades and decades in Pakistan of people not paying the tax they owe. Imran Khan has come in and said simply, well, that's fine. We can use technology, is usually what he says. We'll use technology to make sure people pay what they owe. If it was that simple, previous governments would have done it. And I think a lot of people worry that he's putting too many hopes on simply clicking his fingers and expecting people to pay up. His political rival Nawaz Sharif and his daughter have just been released from prison. Tell us how it is likely to impact Pakistani politics. It's quite an extraordinary turn of events. So Nawaz Sharif was jailed earlier this year on a 10-year sentence for corruption. This was to do with a case going back years and years and years about his ownership of four luxury properties in London and whether he declared them properly and what the source for the money to buy those was. So he ended up in prison in July and it looked like he was going to be there for a very long time. But unexpectedly this week, the Islamabad High Court ruled that he should be released. They suspended his sentence pending his eventual appeal, which it now looks like will be granted. Some people think, and this might be too much of a conspiracy, but some people see a link between Nawaz Sharif's release or potential release and the visit of Imran Khan to Saudi Arabia. Now, the reason they say that is because Nawaz Sharif has very strong links with the Saudis. He went to Saudi Arabia in 2000 when he was seeking exile after the military coup of General Pervez Musharraf. So there is a theory that perhaps the Saudis asked as a return for delivering a loan to Pakistan, perhaps they asked that Nawaz Sharif should be set free. I should say we don't have any evidence of that. The Saudis have not said anything like that. So we'll see. Perhaps that's just one conspiracy theory too far, but it would be an interesting way in which the two stories of Pakistan's politics right now could be linked. Pakistan's tough economic challenges and the twists and turns in Pakistani politics. We'll be keeping track of all those stories for you. That's it from us for today. That was Jotna Singh talking to Kieran Stacey. 
We'll be back with more news later this week. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.